Colin Horton. I'm an award-winning surveyor, part-time property investor and self-confessed entrepreneur. I believe that business is all about getting to know the people that you're dealing with and that's exactly what we're going to be doing on this podcast. We'll be having in-depth chats, asking the personal questions and ultimately getting candid. Good afternoon, everyone. Today, I am joined by the very inspirational Karen Clintz, who I have been very lucky to get to know over the last few months and has, well, inspired me, not in my career, but just in general, just business ideas. And I'll be honest, probably our most successful guest we're probably ever going to have on the show. So, um, Karen, do you want to introduce yourself um, for me to the to people who have no idea who you are at this point in time? Okay. So. Um, so my name is Karen Clintz and I run a chain of nurseries uh, called Tiger's Childcare uh, between Ireland and the UK. So we have thir- 13 nurseries across in Dublin where we've been operational for 18 years now. We cater for about 1,300 children. Um, and then we just opened last year, actually this time last year, we're just coming to our one-year anniversary. We opened um, a service across the UK as part of a larger expansion plan. Um, so we do, I suppose we look after children four months up until about 12 years. And then we also do a lot of consultancy with government in regard to the industry as a whole. Wow, that's that's big. <laughs> that's really big. I mean, we, um, like, how to get a company to kind of decide that you have got to, it can't have been easy. I, I mean, how did you, did you ever dream it would be this big? Is no. this what you set out? Still, like look, I suppose, um, and think how did like how did we even get here? But I suppose, kind of the progression came. It wasn't kind of all at the same time. So I started a little bit differently to most. I, I was in school, always wanted to. I suppose liked a life ni- nice lifestyle. So always wanted to earn a lot of money. Was pretty good at business studies. So I, even though I, my, I suppose my passion and I love minding children was um, to kind of do something in the business world. So I went and I did a marketing after school and went to work in a software house, do nine to five, four weeks annual leave. And a couple of years in, I was like, is this it? Is this my life going to be like forever? Um, so I was lucky enough, which you don't feel as lucky at the time, to be made redundant from that company in the first uh, com bust. And I was 21, I was really young, and I was also expecting my first child uh, at the time, Ella Blue. Um, so I kind of suppose it gave me a minute to pause and to think, okay, life is going to really change for me now. I'm young, I'm having a baby. Um, I don't really want to be in a career that I hate. So what do I like doing? Um, and I just, I always love being around children and I love working with them. So I decided, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to go retrain. I'm going to go back and I'm going to work as a teacher. So I did that. And I went into a school really working firstly in their special needs department. So taking children out of their classes day to day and um, working with them one-on-one. And it was while I was working in that school that I could see there was a real gap in the market for school-age childcare, that lots of the children that were in the school were not happy with where they were going after the school day. And so I approached the principal there about starting um, a school-age childcare um, nursery there. So I did that, and that was really where I focused my time for the first number of years. So we started a program. Didn't want to start with a nursery-age childcare work at the time. I was really interested in what the children would like how we could contribute to their lives. So 
children after they go to school that don't want to be in an environment that's anything like school. So how um, yeah, children don't want to be in an environment that's anyway like school after the school day. They want to do something yeah. that's different. Um, and they don't want to be around adults that act like the school teachers. They want to be around people that facilitate their learning. So we started a program that was very flexible for parents. They could come from one hour a day, one day a week, right up until being there full time if their parents needed. And then the, I suppose the service that was really flexible to the children's needs as well. So making sure that we were always asking them what they wanted to do. We found that the program we built not only had an, an impact on families' lives, but it had a real impact on the children's lives. So you were seeing children that maybe didn't perform well in school, didn't fit in well in school, whether that was the reason that they were shy or whether it was the reason that they could be quite disruptive in the classroom. Um, we had more one-on-one time with them. So we were able to teach them skills within that setting. So kind of social and emotional development that would help them and aid them then in their school life. And it was really having an impact. Um, so I suppose the program started to be recognized and other schools started to ask us to open similar services within their center. So we did that for a number of years. We kind of focused on that for five years and, and grew the business. And then we went, I suppose, what we were doing and said, okay, well, we think we could probably do something else for younger children. And at the time, the EU was introducing kind of a mandatory preschool year for all children before they went to school. And there was a lot of funding for that. It was going to be free to parents. So we decided, well, we use this space in schools in the morning. We use it in the afternoon. And the middle of the day was school is in session. We don't use it at all. So let's um, provide ECC services to children, so school preschool services. Um, so we did that. We started doing that really quite well. And again, would have worked with government on the national curriculum around then. So implementing how children would be taught, um, which has, I suppose, an impact on, on the children. But it had a real impact on us looking at the business as well of what works for children. So you'll see a lot of this used in big companies like the likes of Google and things like that. Children learn exactly the same way adults learn. They learn when they're stimulated, when they have choice, when they can have fun, when they're at play. And so we based our whole model on allowing children to do that and the adults watching how the children develop and planning around that we're meeting each child's individual needs. So again, I suppose we did that. We did very well. Then we moved into doing full daycare services as well. So really young babies up. Um, we got an opportunity, we saw a service that was closing down that was owned by a, a big operator called Bright Horizons, and that was in 2015. So Bright Horizons were closing this one centre. They had done a handover to another multiple service that was not a great quality provider, and the service then, the parents kind of pulled their children from the service, and the service was closed down within a couple of months. So there was this empty service that had no children in it anymore. And we said, let's go and have a look at that, see if it was something we could do with it. So we went into that service. We kind of saw what the problems were. We took on the lease and we started up from scratch and we filled the service within kind of 12 months, actually a little bit before 12 months. And I suppose then we said, okay, well, this is the largest provider. Bright Horizons are a multinational company sitting on the New York Stock Exchange we're after doing something they couldn't do. So what is it that we're doing that's a little bit different? And what could we plan from there? So we kind of then saw a second centre that Bright Horizons were closing down. 
we went and we saw could we take over that service we were a little bit late they'd already let everyone go let all the children go we went and we took it over but we, then we had a bigger conversation to Bright Horizons about what was their plan and their plan was to exit the Irish market um, and we decided that that was an opportunity for us that we'd taken these two centres we turned them around really quickly by putting in our kind of management structures our audit systems and where they couldn't make profit, we were now turning things around and making profits and, and, and also deliveries and that was really high quality. So we asked them, could we buy the rest of their services off them? And we went into a deal with them. And I think they thought they were getting a sweet deal. They were getting some Irish Egypt to come in and buy their absolutely rubbish facilities with hardly any children. The, their, their occupancies are really low. And we said, yeah, let's, see who the agent is here and we took over the rest of that business and we project managed it within 12 months to be profitable wow so that gave us a real appetite for okay these are one of the biggest players in the world internationally and they're the largest player in the states the largest player in the uk the largest player in india if we're doing it better than them then we just need to shout a little bit louder open a few more centers and we need to take these guys on the first place we can do that is is head over to the uk so we did, and I suppose I went over to the UK just looking at it, looking at a couple of tenders, and one came up in Elephant Park, which is very open. So I suppose very central area of, um, I suppose, regeneration, um, and very populated area, kind of very mixed backgrounds. So you're talking about somewhere that's being kind of gentrified. And uh, saw this tender and just said, you know, let's throw a hat at it. It's like, you know, it's against all the big players. You had all Busy Bees, you had Monkey Puzzle, you had um, Bright Horizon going for it. We didn't think we'd get it, threw a hat at it and really said, actually, we're not just going to throw in a flat tender. What is this area? Where are we going into? And how can we impact that? So we were going into this area of deprivation where you were going to have, I suppose, affluence moving in. How could you marry those two communities within the nursery service and impact the new community coming out the other side? And we wrote our tender kind of based around that and we won. We didn't think we won and we would no finance to actually do the centre. So one, we kind of then had to track and find the finance and we were lucky our operations in Ireland were strong and they kind of kept going until we could get a financer on board. So then we raised uh, some finance, some debt finance, um, I suppose to finish it, complete that Irish or that UK operation, uh, fix the balance sheet in Ireland that had propped up the UK operation so we could get <laughs> and uh, marry off a few things and drive forward. So I suppose we're in a position now, we've spent the last year and spent the COVID crisis building up my board and um, really strengthening. We kind of always had very strong operations, very strong audit systems. But probably kind of the financial department and those other other things behind the scenes needed, you know, they needed things to be more stringent. And so we spent the last 12 months doing that. And now we're just, I suppose, sitting, raising a next pot of finance, ready to really, I suppose, start multiplying and growing the business. Wait, I mean, where's that? I mean, it's fascinating. Like, you talk about it so humbly. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, I can't dream of doing that. So, I mean, where... Um, at what point, like, obviously, you brought people on to help guide you through the process. What was it like, not relinquishing control, but having a board? You know, has that been difficult at points? Or? Yeah, no, it certainly has. Like, there's, there's difficulties in those decisions as well. So, like, 
I was lucky enough to be appointed to a number of boards kind of as I ran my business, just in a professional capacity with governors. And so that gave me a taste of, you know, working for somebody, somebody else being in control of your budget, having to be accountable, knowing how to, I suppose, good corporate governance. So that was, you know, beneficial to me to use in my own business. But my business had been predominantly a family business. So although, you know, I started the business and, as it grew, my family came to work for me. So my mum, who was an ex-bank manager, she came on to run the finance department. My sister came in. She kind of um, managed directly beside me in regards to more, I suppose, the organizational structures. And so you have a family business. I'm the middle child. Like, my sister's older than me. I'm, and I'm very much probably treated in the family as the baby within the family and there I am trying to boss everyone around. So there's those dynamics kind of going on. And then, you know, you need to bring in people with bigger skills without then upsetting the people that are already there. And that's a challenge within itself. But I needed people who had done it before, you know, who had grown companies before, who had raised finance, who knew how to work in that world. Um, and so those decisions have to be made. I have to put the business first and put personalities or, or relationships aside and forge ahead. So it's been great. I find it really like I love learning from people. So I'm really lucky I've gotten really good board members to come on board. So I firstly took on a commercial director um, who had, had had an experience of growing um, a medical chain, so a chain of doctors. And there's quite a lot of similarities between practices and, and nurseries so I took um Aid McGettigan on he had run Centric Medical he brought with them then a nice CFO who came behind him Pamela and um, Pamela came on to do the finances and then as part of our structure of raising the finances we had to hire um, a chairperson to chair the board and um, so my financers they kind of have a good say in who you get to chair well they suggest people obviously you have to get on with them and I got Cormac Tobin, who had was really came from a, a large retail background. He would have ran quite a large supermarket chain in Ireland um, called Super Value, um, and Super uh, would have been Super Quinn before Super Value. They would have run. What I loved about Cormac's story is they were really invested in their colleagues. They understood that actually investing in your team um, and really giving feedback to your team because my team run my business. Even 183 colleagues and they're the cold front of my business and what people experience every day so it's really really important to me that I had somebody that understood that and also understood that I wasn't going to compromise qualities for money so that quality was the forefront of everything we did and Cormac had come from there and then he went on to run the Celestica group who own Lloyd's pharmacies would be what they're known best as and um, the kind of pharmaceutical behind Lloyd's pharmacies so he came with a wealth of knowledge in retirement um, and me, myself and himself work extremely well together. We kind of think the same. The most important thing is we have the same corporate culture, um, the same kind of value systems. And I just love learning from them. I mean, they've done so much more than me in different industries. So, you know, I'm bringing the passion for what I do. And they're giving me a lot of teaching behind in regards to the corporate world so that I would be lost without We wouldn't be able to grow the brand without I think it's so important to surround yourself with people that you do want to learn from. You don't want to be the cleverest person in the room. You want to be not the dumbest, but you know, you want to be around people that can give you advice and guidance. And I think yeah. that's something I'm trying to, I'm trying in my own little naive way to try and do as I kind of navigate a little business world. I mean, when you, 
because you you know you got to a point now where you are successful you know if one you are a, a successful businesswoman now i mean where at what point did you class yourself as as, as successful if you have it if you do you might not class yourself as successful but at what point yeah, have you had that point yeah where you sat back and think yeah you know, you've made, i've made it now i've made yeah. it I think we all kind of, I think everyone has imposter syndrome because at the end of the day, no matter how successful you are, everyone's just their own person. You know, they're, they're, you know, for me, I'm sometimes like sit back and think, and I did an article only a couple of years ago and I actually didn't think they'd use it, but I was like, I'm just some Egypt from Castanock and Dublin. Like, you know, half the time I don't know what I'm doing. Um, So now I don't think, I think it's good to, it is good to quietly acknowledge where you've come from and say, but like for me, it's always been part of a team. So although I know I can come up with the ideas and I can have the passion and I can have the drive, I haven't gotten there on my own. So a lot of there's been a big team effort behind me and there's been lots of clever people around me and mentors. And as we just discussed, there are people that will help. Um, but yeah, I still, I suppose, I still know who I am at heart, so I don't. Then you, it's it's important not to overthink where you are as well. But um, I think what drives you forward and keeps you going and wants you know that you don't stop at a certain success level is just that passion to do more and enjoy what you're doing. Like for me, a lot of the time it doesn't feel like work. Although you you know you're good at the, the stressful situations and there's things going on you know, could I do this the rest of my days? Yeah, I probably could because I really love it. And that's <laughs> really important, I think. Did your children go to one of your nurseries? Didn't actually. So uh, <laughs> kind of fitted in for the out. Um, like Ella, I was, was doing after school at the time where Ella then was in um, nursery. So I didn't provide those services. Um, and so she kind of would pop in and out after school if she if she'd just come around me after the school days, so depending on where I was, she would be. And then my little boy made a decision, actually, I'm not gonna send him to where he is. And I'm glad I didn't, because he's he's wired to the moon, that child. So it's good to get a good perspective of him rather than um, you know, a, a tainted perspective by my colleagues. But they but they've both been in and out. They've both grown up in the business. Um I have my little boy, he ended up being eight weeks early, so he was preemie and I took him home from the hospital just under five pounds and the first place he went to wow. was the centre. Like he it was the first visit wow. because I just went straight back into work. You know, there's no such thing as maternity leave if you're working for yourself. Um, yeah. so yeah, the first place he went was into a tiger centre and he's been there ever since and it's funny, you know, he He's a real interest. He's only 12, but he's he's a real interest in business. So he tells me, you know, he's he's always asking what the valuation of the business is, and then he's always working to get enough money to buy me out. And he told me to he'll still give me a job. I said, well, that's great, because I think you might need my knowledge. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, do you think he will want to be part of it? Like, actually, when it's, cause it must be difficult, I think, when you have – you know, a, a nice upbringing, I guess, to have that motivation as a kid to want to get into this. Do you think yeah. you'll want to be part of Char- yeah. Tigers going forward? I don't think I'll own Tigers by the time Luca's going to, to school. You know, that's that's the plan. I'll be in business. I'll be in business somewhere else. Um, I think he certainly, I think it has a lot to do with personality. I think you can do the, the same for two children and, and it doesn't work out the same. Um you know, that they, they, I think it's important that you have a family business that, yes, if children want to become involved, and that's an option that's open to them. But I think it's it's important for all children to have their own life and their own path and not to be too pushed into your path because that's your choice and that's your life and they need to lead a life of their own. So 
Although, you know, I would love to think my children would be doing something alongside me and, and I'd be using their skills and knowledge towards, towards benefiting the business. I really think it's important that they have their own journey and they go and they do their own thing and that I support that um, and, and then see what happens after it. That's not, I mean, what, what, what did you want to be when you were a kid? I guess you... I wanted to be a singer, Colin, but I just didn't have those talents. Yeah. Um, Can you can you sing it at all? You got any remote Awful, awful. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think like every little girl, you kind of want to be a pop star, you want to be famous. But I mean, I always loved, I, I had a passion for children. So I was minding everybody where I lived as kids from the time I was 11 or 12. And you probably had to have to book me about six or seven weeks in, a, in advance to, to be able to mind your kids. And I'd come and I'd do your housework as well. So um, I always loved that. I kind of knew from a young age and I probably from my own upbringing that, um, you know, really good adults in your life really make an impact on you. You know, for children that yeah. from any type of background, if you've got one good person that says to you constantly that you can do it and that really encourages and builds your confidence, that has a lifelong effect. And I loved the idea of that. I had those, like I had really good adults in my life. Um, and, you know, although... I suppose I didn't grow up in poverty. I didn't grow up with any of those problems. I had quite an interesting background. So um, I need a supportive adults in my life and they really impacted me. And I, I just love the idea of paying that forward and doing something that made me feel good. That's such a really nice takeaway, that, that having that impactful adult in your life. You wouldn't, you wouldn't actually think about it. Yeah, there is actually. That yeah. mine's my mum. She was my, you know, she was my woman that I was always accountable for. But um it's, it's, it's quite deep, actually. Deep enough for you. Monday morning. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I really think it is. I think if we all look back, or I think if any successful person looks back, there'll have been those kind of cheerleaders from a very young age um, that could tell you that you could do it. And like I suppose the big thing about business is, and a lot of successful people, you're not good at business unless you've hit some hard rocks. Like you're not good at business if you haven't had to have resilience in your life. And so you do, you hear all these stories of people that have come from impoverished backgrounds or they've come, you know, from somewhere where they shouldn't have made it. Coming from that is why you made it. It's, you know, that's what's giving you the fire in your belly. It's what's giving you the resilience to be able to bounce back. And then you have, along with that, you have to have cheerleaders that told you you could do it. Um, and I think I've been lucky enough to have a business where we look at children and we look at them without the background and we give them that encouragement every day. Our focus on the, on the way we teach them is on what, what are they good at? What can they do? How can we support around the things that they can't do? So maybe they could do them one day or maybe they could do them with supports. Um, so really being champions for children. And I just love that. I love that I get to, I obviously get to be successful and I get to make money out of it, but then I really enjoy what we do. Yeah, I mean, it's lovely to hear the passion behind it i think a lot of i I just assume some of them are just run the mill people just trying to make money out of these things and i don't think they actually have the compassion for the actual children i think as obviously being a mum has that helped kind of create your i don't want to use the children's customers but i fundamentally are customers of, of their customer experience at tigers is that helped craft what you want what you would want your children to go through is that how you yeah, it certainly does have an impact. I mean, I, I remember when I was first teaching and I had a very young baby, obviously my school-age children, you would, they would be angels for you to pass and the parents would arrive and they'd be throwing tantrums on the floor and just not listening. And I used to think, 
She said, parents don't have a clue, but you actually, you, you soon realize that your own children won't listen to you either. Um, but you know, it gives you a huge empathy for um, for what parents go through. It, it makes you lose judgment um, because everyone's just trying their best. Like I'm yet to meet a parent and, and I still meet parents all the time that, that don't have the best for their children. And through circumstances or stress or, you know, through their own issues, they may not be able to provide that, but they all want best. They all want better for their kids. And it just gives you, I suppose, your own point of view to be able to always thinking, like when I walk into even my own centres now, I do judge them by, would this be okay for my child? And I have pretty high standards for the two of them. Um, And if it's not okay, well, then I'm not happy. Um, so yeah, certainly, I think having children really has a has a big impact. Well, that's, that's a good kind of quality check, that isn't it? Would I say my kids it, and then that's it can't ask for much more than that, can you? Mm-hmm. I mean, what what would you tell younger younger Karen? Is there any advice you give to yourself that you know now with the benefit of hindsight, or would you do exactly the same thing over again? I think I wouldn't change anything at all. I think every there's been so much learning. I think. To know to probably pace myself, I'm always like running 150 miles ahead, and you know you're disappointed when things don't pay off at the right time. But everything's happened for me at the right time. You don't just know that at the time. I think believing in myself and that resilience, like understanding actually that the hard times pass, nothing lasts forever. But the good times won't last forever ever ever either. But um, you know that ability to just get back up again to remind myself actually, yeah, you've hit a bump, you can get back up again. You always get back up again. And that, you know, what's for you won't pass you, you know, so everything has happened. The deals that haven't come through, there's been very good reasons down the road when you look back and you think, yeah, that just wasn't right. Um, you know, believe your gut. I think that's a big one. So, you know, your gut always tells you what way to go. And sometimes you don't want to believe your gut when it's something that your head is telling you you really want. Um, but I think that, yeah, that's really important. It's like, I think it's everyone that I've spoken to is just always just been your gut. It's trust yeah. your gut. I think it's, it's uh, recently, it's always been you build up a decision in your brain sometimes. It's a lot worse than maybe how it's actually. It's never as bad as it's going to pan out. It's never as bad as you think it's going to be. And uh, I think we spoke before. I'm not very confrontational generally. I'm quite a placid chap, mm-hmm. uh, which builds stuff up, which is never generally the best way to go about life. I mean, how. Have you had times in your life where you've had to kind of be like brutally candid with people just to, so I have to get the little word in because it's the podcast, <laughs> candid. So, um, and any times you've had to be really candid with people and you thought like, you know, you've maybe regretted that or it's, or it's paid off as a. Yeah, I'd be pretty straightforward person. So it's not something I've ever had a problem with. Really. <laughs> um, but I suppose though, like, like that, I'd be, pretty amiable like I want to get on with people you know no one wants to have an argument but then if there has to be one I've no issue having it um especially for the right reasons I think like it's good for I've tried my whole time to be self-reflective so you know not to blame other people like to kind of see okay well where did I go wrong in this like at the end of the day it's my company so mistakes happen within it and I have to you know I have to kind of pull the whip or crack the whip or whatever you know the saying is yeah that's fine but then I have to take accountability it is my company so what's the learning in it for me how can I make sure it doesn't happen again or how can I improve things so that 
it doesn't, you know, it's okay to be able to call people out. You have to still take accountability yourself and see how you can improve things. Nice. It's important. Eh? That's important. I mean, what if you weren't to do this anymore and we're going to do something completely different, what would you do? Um, you've got capacity to do it. You've got the backing. What what would Carrie like to do? What would you? I think I, like I love doing what I'm doing in regards to like I get opportunities obviously to do quite a lot of things like this and to do quite a lot of writing pieces and, and stuff like that. I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Um, I suppose I really wanted to, to kind of train practitioners in a way that we learn. Um, in Tigers, it's quite unique. So I think I'll do something along those lines too in consultancy work. So like I'm always thinking of the next steps. And obviously, as I said, you know, I don't expect to be sitting um, in the capacity or in the ownership capacity, like I, at the moment I own 80% of my business, I probably won't own 80% of my business in five years. So I need to think of the next step in the next business. And so I'm always looking for those opportunities and always looking to learn. Plan to go do my master's is probably the next thing as well. So you, you, know, might, you might get one of those honorary ones. You might get one of those honorary masters now. Yeah, I can probably feel better yeah. that I go and work for and actually <laughs> anyway um, so the knowledge in the honorary one um so yeah I plan to go and do that for me and I suppose um trying to get that work-life balance as well like I do have two children that have been like one of them's not a child anymore she's 18 so you know I really want us to be able to really enjoy what we have as well and not always have the head of the grindstone but take those times away like I think we've all we have all of us haven't had that choice for the last twelve months. If you wanted your business to succeed in COVID, you kind of didn't take too many holidays or breaks because it was just more important to be able to forge ahead. So I think when it's over now and we start getting back to normality, I want to obviously it's really important that I start to enjoy it. Otherwise, what's the point? We're only here once. Very bloody true that you know life is so short, and I think you, you can work every hour, got sense, but if you can't enjoy what. What's it, what is it for? There's literally no point. And what do you, Mark, uh, well, you know, coming to now? What, what do you enjoy outside the work? What's you know, where where will we find you on a on a Saturday? Um, you won't find me there probably on a Saturday, but I just love to travel. So you know, traveling and seeing more of the world is really important to me. We do, I suppose, I travel quite a lot in the year, but we've a kind of a family tradition of picking one big new place to go every year and kind of exploring that they have to decide together we all have to kind of have a plan and do that so a bit of that uh love walk and love socializing I just love people Colin so I'm always around people I'm very rarely on my own I said I must be very boring because I don't like my own company um, <laughs> so yeah just you'll always find me socializing out with people doing something with that's going on a walk with someone or going on a holiday or being out in a restaurant for a few drinks I'll always you'll always find me on, with people you're a West London girl, aren't you? I am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't go into the east, do you? No, not really. Um, yeah, no, I'm generally saying I'm a city girl. I grew up in Dublin. I moved to Australia. I live in Sydney. And now I'm between Dublin and London. I just love the buzz of the city, uh, whatever city that is. Do you think it's going to come back, city life? Do you think that will be? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think there's a huge opportunity. Not that I agree with all Boris's politics, because I certainly don't. I think he's going to get there by fluke. But I think London will thrive. I think the fact that the vaccine rollout has been so strong, um, 
business needs to keep going. It will always go. The world revolves around business. And um, if the UK can get itself back up and running before Europe, I think the future is bright, very, very bright, which I wouldn't have said actually pre-COVID Brexit, I would have thought this might not go too well. But I think COVID is going to end up working very much in the UK's favour. Touch wood. I like your positivity. And lastly, um, somewhere you're a very busy lady. Um, we have a few kind of budding entrepreneurs on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned you were coming on. And have you got any advice? Because I think you're at the point where we all kind of aspire to, to get to um, that you'd give to, you know, a budding entrepreneur who's has those sleepless nights and worries about have they got, you know, the money or how they, you know, where the next client's gonna come from. What what kind of advice would you give to oh, yeah. yeah. I think worry less about the money. Um if you run something that's good, if you put your focus into not money always comes. It's funny and my mum actually used to say that to me. She like she was a single mum and she'd say, I never worried about money. I knew it'd always work itself out. You know, I'd have enough to get by and and money would just appear, you know, like just just when I thought I'd, I had nothing, something would happen and I'd get the money. So I never worried about money either. Um, if I had enough to live, I was happy. Um, but I always ended up with plenty more because my head was always focused in the game of doing what I did really, really well. So I think that's really important. So I think networking, like what you're doing, Colin, and reaching out to people, you just learn so much from watching other business people, whether watching their failures or watching the successes. And I think you have to be a little bit ballsy. Like it's not easy, obviously, to like this, put yourself out there and have a podcast. But leaders are not in the crowd. Leaders are out front on their own. And Like I hate doing these things and, you know, not particularly sure. comfortable doing it. But like I before is this on camera or is it audio um, <laughs> nobody likes to have to put themselves like and people you know because i would say do news pieces or do things like that people might they just get an opinion that i i like it i hate it like i absolutely it's the worst part of the job but you kind of have to do things sometimes that you don't enjoy if it's for the benefit of your company um so yeah i think all of that and and, and surround yourself with good cheerleading people like that's people that will give you a hand and ask for a hand. Like I have some phenomenal, like they, you know, ridiculously successful people around me and they have had absolutely no problem giving me a helping hand and putting the ladder down and pulling me up because there's actually loads of rooms at the top. So, you know, there's no fear for those people that by having other successful people around them that they're going to lose out at all. Um, so surround yourself by those people and people that if you weren't in a room, they would talk well about each other people. They would put, push your business forward. Um, and I think that will just keep you more positive um, and it will surround you by a set of people that then, I suppose, give you a mindset that you want to have. I love that. That's good. I love that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Uh, I know you're very busy. Um Obviously, people can add, like, add you on LinkedIn, can't they, I presume, and just follow yeah, your story. Yeah, you can LinkedIn, and then you can follow Tigers. We've got a good bit of social media on Tigers. That's Tigers Childcare um, on both Instagram and Twitter and all of us. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Karen, and have a lovely day. And, um, yeah, speak to you soon, guys. Thanks. Bye.